The race for the Premier League's top four took another twist last weekend as Tottenham wiped the floor with Newcastle to move into fourth spot and their old North London foes Arsenal had a collective wobble as they were smacked 3-0 by Crystal Palace. With the North London derby on the horizon, which of these rivals can take that final spot? Or will Manchester United somehow recover and trample over both of them? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Best. Someone who's always guaranteed to be in my top four is award-winning betting expert Mark O'Hare. Mark, Tottenham evens on the exchange in the top four finish market. Arsenal, slightly bigger than that, 2.06. They're dead level on points, but Arsenal do have a game in hand, but they've got to go to Tottenham between now and the end of the season. United, all the way out to eight to take a top four spot. So how do you assess this market? Ever-changing, isn't it? Um, you know, I'm not sure, I don't think many people saw Arsenal getting hammered by Crystal Palace on Monday night, um, beaten and bullied really throughout that match and that was a bit of a shock to the system and I think an injury picked up to Thomas Partey uh, could be quite a key um, blow for them. I don't think it's completely serious but I think he's definitely ruled out for this weekend. Uh, and Kieran Tierney also uh, missing, that's a, a big blow for, for Arsenal too. So from having a really settled squad, a settled 11, uh, they're going to have to start making changes and rotations and that will disrupt their rhythm at all. Uh, you mentioned the game in hand uh, and the trip to, to Spurs. Obviously the trip to Spurs, well, Spurs will be favourites for that but the, the game in hand is against Chelsea as well so that's no gimme for, for Arsenal. Um, so yeah, I think it's advantage Tottenham, uh, which we talked about from the very beginning when Conte took charge we expected them to, to sort of rise to the challenge and it's taken a bit of time but Conte did say before the international break after they demolished Everton um, he said uh, he was felt like he was making breakthroughs with the squad and the team and they started to sort of find the right um, you know position of travel really and I think that was uh, shown again last weekend against Newcastle where after a difficult start and Newcastle defended very de very well in the first half they just exploded into life in that second period and to create almost three expected goals from open play have 13 shots in the box conceded just one shot on target themselves I think there's definitely signs now that Spurs are heading in that right direction and deserve to be fair, fair favourites to, to finish in the top four um, since Conte's arrived only Liverpool and City have earned more Premier League points uh, and I think there's a graphic going around as well last weekend that uh, Spurs have now scored more goals this calendar year in the Premier League than anyone else as well. So things are certainly clicking in, in forward areas. I think they've improved defensively too. Um, and yeah, things are obviously going swimmingly where you compare it to Arsenal, it does start to be a couple of cracks. I know it might just be one game and we might be overreacting to just one defeat, but uh, you know, just having to shuffle around those players, and, and especially if Partey's missing for more than one week, that is an issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, the game in hand, I'm kind of writing off really because they're playing Chelsea and, and then you've got United and I've not really got much to say about United, to be honest. The gap's only, what, three points, is it? Four points? But uh, yeah, just uh, so inconsistent, so difficult to read at the minute and, and very rarely are they showing the you know, the potential that they really should be showing. So yeah, all, all my eggs in Spurs basket. But Eric Ten Hag's coming in. It's going to wipe away all of their problems. They're going to be top every season, I'm sure. Uh, the data doctor, Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal, has been repainting the XG robots in time for the last few weeks of the season. Jake, Spurs go to Aston Villa on Saturday. Spurs have been in terrific form, as Mark says. 
He have, yeah, and uh, and that's been ever since Conte took over. Because looking at the underlying data, only Man City and Liverpool have racked up more expected points per game than Tottenham since Conte took charge. So they've even performed uh, outperformed Chelsea in that same span. So really, really impressive figures. The underlying numbers from a uh, just a game xga um 2.18 1.21 that's the third best in the league since Conte took over so they are performing like a a, a real top 4 team um a team with the caliber that could potentially challenge um City and Liverpool if they were sort of you know the, the normal Premier League title winners but they're a little bit better than that currently aren't they but we'll get on to them in Sunday's podcast um, but yeah, they go to Villa and I've been slightly underwhelmed with Villa, really. Uh, I know they've, they've had a couple of really good performances, but they've come against poor teams. You know, they went to Leeds, uh, beat them quite comfortably when they were just getting fine in their feet under Jesse Marsh. Um, and yeah, their XG process over the last 10 league games, it is positive. Um, 1.37, 1.33 expected goals for and against. Um, but it's not as sort of emphatic as what many people particularly the pundits who watch them and rave about them and, you know, the Coutinho factor would, would suggest. Um, they feel quite is... fragile as well, Jake. They do feel very easy to get at. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think part of that is the defence. Um, they do look very vulnerable defensively. And I think part, I think most of that is because of the sort of attacking-minded fullbacks that they have. Matty Cash and uh, Lucas Digny when he plays. And Ashley Young's been playing there for... Um, the last couple of weeks, but they're both quite attack, attack-minded fullbacks, and that kind of leaves Tyrone Mings and uh, whoever his, his partner is alongside him very exposed. And we know that Tyrone Mings in one-on-one situations is uh, is not the best, and he's always good for a card when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting just diving deeper into Villa's numbers. Um, they played five games against the current top six. Obviously, Tottenham sit into that category. They've lost all five and they've generated just 0.66 expected goals for per game. This is under Steven Gerrard, um, while allowing 1.6 expected goals against per game. So they're on average around um, one expected goal inferior to top six opponents when they play them. And if you, if you, you know, the, the, in that time they have played Arsenal, Arsenal were... Uh, they were they were very good against Villa um, at Villa Park in the way in which they controlled them. Uh, Manchester United were, as we've said, very inconsistent and very poor. Uh, and that was the only game they actually won the XG battle on of those was against Manchester United. And Tottenham are performing at a much higher level than both Arsenal and Manchester United. So I'm fully expecting Spurs to be able to go there, cause Villa real issues and make a, another real statement in this top four battle. And I was pleasantly surprised to be able to to back Spurs at 2.34 to win this game. I thought they should be a little bit closer to 2.2. Um, and, you know, the, the top four race it, it is wide open. And I, I'm with Mark. I fully expect Spurs to um, to ram that advantage home, particularly with the fact that they've got Arsenal um, at, the, the, uh, at home. So... Yeah, this is this is a big game. I know people were saying similar of Arsenal when they went to Villa Park before the international break that it was a big game because it was Aston Villa and they're, they're looking like a, a potential threat. But I don't see Villa in that in that way at all. And I think Spurs will go there with the firepower they've got should just prove too strong. Betting expert and odds compiler Mark Stinch comes back with us. Stinch, you were bullish about Tottenham's chances in this market a long time ago when there were a much bigger price in the market. How are you feeling about them now? Yeah, no change really, to be honest. Um, still probably more so anti-Arsenal than uh, than pro Spurs. Um, just with, I mean, Lacazette's only scored four goals all season. Um, I think I said a few times that I feel like he's maybe coming to the the end of his kind of 
career as a top level striker um, and then you look at the players in behind them they're all quite young and inexperienced and you know I'm not sure they're up for the necessarily um, you know given that age that you can rely on them to be consistent on a week in week out basis and, and drag the team essentially into that top four position they don't score that many goals Arsenal I think they're only the seventh or eighth top scorers in the league so then you're relying on um, then from a defensive point of view, it didn't look great against Palace the other night. And again, I think that comes down to a little bit of inexperience in a young team with a, a young goalkeeper and the, the likes of Ben White at centre-back. Um, it was a strange one, that stinch. I was there on Monday at Selhurst Park and Palace was so aggressive from the get-go. They got the crowd involved. Conor Gallagher was racing around, closing people down and... I know this this seems quite basic, but Arsenal seemed really knocked out of their rhythm completely by that. Yeah, I mean, I've been a big fan of Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace this season. I think arguably manager of the season. Um, I was looking for a market to to back him to manager of the season after Monday night, but I couldn't find one. Um, and it might it might be that he would get toppled anyway if uh, either of City or Liverpool win lots of trophies. But uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I know I know um, you know they won three 0 and people would be like that. Look at that as a surprise result. But Arsenal were even, so you know they weren't um, huge favourites to win the match and. And as I said before, I've kind of been quite anti-Arsenal most of the season anyway, so I wasn't wasn't too surprised. I mean, I watched Palace against Everton a uh, week before. I know Everton aren't very good, but I was impressed again at Palace's sort of chance chance creation and their sort of um, relentlessness, if you like, continuing with the attack. Um, actually, you know, they're the only team I think this season that. Um, I've kept clean sheets against Man City Palace, so that tells you they've got to be doing something right uh, on the pitch. Um, I remember the game against Liverpool, they were utterly dominated for the first 20-25 minutes, but then after that, it was pretty much all Palace, and that game could have could have swung either way in the end. I think Liverpool were very lucky to come out with it with a, with a commanding 3-1 victory. I don't think it was a penalty for the for the final goal. So yeah, I don't see, I didn't really see it as too much of a of a poor reflection on Arsenal losing that game. But I think people will look at it and see that because of the fact that Arsenal have kind of been a little bit flat track bullies when a lot of these games, I think, against the teams outside of the the top top six, top seven. So yeah, I mean we're on uh, I think seven to one. So I think just happily um, you know cheer that on. No need to be looking at trading out or anything like that. I mean that's not my uh, usual stance anyway. But um, particularly when we feel like the you know Tottenham have got all the all the momentum and uh, you know might kind of outline the fact that uh, that Arsenal's game in hand is against Chelsea and uh, Arsenal still got to go to Tottenham as well. So. Uh, yeah, I think everything's in our favour as as it stands. Um, in terms of the the match on on Saturday evening, I'm just kind of revisiting a bet I was on before, and also following last week's success in the in this market. I'm looking at Matt Doherty to get an assist at 15 to two. Um, he picked up another one last week uh, against Newcastle. This time from left wing back, uh, he popped up with a with the assist for Emerson Royale's goal. So it's now five assists in his last ten Premier League games and given he's 15 to 2 I'm very happy to, to get involved when you can when you consider that there's 22 players are shorter for an assist in this game so uh, yeah so I think he's probably should be a little bit higher um, in in the market certainly um, I mean and this game's kind of it's got 
the goal expectancy here of 2.75 goals. So it's basically 50-50 whether we see two or three goals. Um, if I was forced into a bet, I'd probably be looking at the overs. Um, I think both teams are quite good going forward. And I think, as we touched upon already, uh, that Aston Villa defence does look vulnerable. Um, they've got very attack-minded fullbacks in uh, Luca Dina and uh, Matty Cash. I mean, Matty Cash, from, in my mind, is not a fullback. He's Bent, spent most of his career as a midfielder. Um, he's also kind of, I feel like he's been shoehorned a little bit, but maybe it's the sort of modern day uh, fullback is expected to be more attacking and stand higher up the pitch. So that's maybe how it's happened. But anyway, I think that'll leave space for Doherty, whether he's on the right side or whether he's on the left side. Um, you look at his sort of performance data since Conte's taken over. He's created 15 chances in his 10 Premier League games. And if you look at his heat map in terms of touches, the majority are coming in the opposition half. So he himself is being able to get on the ball, high up the pitch. I think Harry Kane is doing an exceptional job of dropping into that number 10 and playing balls over the top to the likes of Son um, and Doherty and other runners. Um, and Villa have conceded over a goal a game under Gerrard. So, yeah, I think um, hopefully be a, an exciting game on Saturday night. And I think there's a good chance that Doherty can find himself in good positions. And when you've got players like Kane and Son that can score difficult chances, you don't even have to rely on sort of um, high quality chances to, to be in with a good chance here. So yeah, 15 to 2, I think I would make it more like a sort of 9 to 2 or 4 to 1 shot. And stinching good form in that assist market, nailed Joe Gomez, uh, 11 to 1 uh, last weekend. Now we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair is now offering no cash out suspensions on match odds over, under, and goal markets on the sports book, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. To Friday night then, and a clash between a humbled Newcastle, who have thrashed 5 1 last weekend, and Wolves, Jake, and Wolves in. Really decent nick at the moment. And Bruno Lage has done a talked about manager of the year. I mean, I don't think he would get manager of the year, but he'd have to be in the, the top third of people's thinking, wouldn't he? Yeah, he's just done a great job. He, he really has sort of steadied the ship at Wolves and got them back to what we saw under Nuno, which was competing for European football. Um, there's every chance that they, they could still... You know, finishing the top six, they're not too far behind the likes of West Ham and Manchester United, just two points behind those two. Um, I think top four would be a bit of a stretch given the gulf in quality, I think, between Spurs and uh, and Arsenal and then Wolves. But yeah, they've got full of confidence. They're going to Newcastle, um, you know, on the back of a, a win against Aston Villa. And, you know, they were, they were dominant for about 70 minutes of that game. Really, really dominant, created enough chances to, to be a couple of goals in front. Uh, and then they just sort of did a classic Wolves and sit back and try to defend and hold on to what they got, which ultimately led to Villa creating a fair few chances and making the XG um, very, very even come the end of that game. But yeah, in, in general, they've been really, really good this season, uh, particularly away from home. It is worth highlighting that they've won eight of 15 away games this season. They've only lost five. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're on a... a three-game win out of four, but the one that they didn't win, they obviously were tuned up against Leeds. Uh, Raul Jimenez got sent off and and obviously the, the rest is history. So they realistically could be coming into this on a four-game winning streak um, against a Newcastle side that have obviously lost the last three. But more concerning for me about Newcastle is the way in which their attacking process has, has downturned quite significantly over the last few weeks. Um, they've... Not generated over one expected goal in any of the last three matches, and they only just got above that in, against Southampton. Um, and that, that for me, is a, is a huge concern given the fact that they had 
it looked as though they were clicking on the attacking front um, during that nine-game uh, unbeaten run. They were creating plenty of chances. Obviously, remember they put three xG up against Everton. It was over two xG against uh, Brentford. I missed it with ten men, uh, but they were consistently hitting around one and a half xG. And to not even get near that the last four matches um, is is to me a real issue, especially when you're coming up against a a defence that is as strong as Wolves and a goalkeeper that is as good as Jose Sarr. So for me, I was just looking at trying to oppose Newcastle in, in, in this match. I think I think Wolves are a little bit overpriced in this game. Um, and rather than just backing them to win the game, which I think is also a very, very solid bet, we're going to take Wolves plus a quarter on the Asian handicap. So if Wolves win, uh, we get a full payout. Uh, if, if the game ends in a draw, we get half a win. And if Newcastle win, we get a loss. And that's around even money, which I just thought was too good to turn down. Moving on to the game between Southampton and Chelsea. I know Stinch has got a pick for this one, but Mark, I wanted to ask you about Chelsea because we've now seen back-to-back really strange and weak performances from Chelsea, blown away by Brentford at Stamford Bridge. We didn't expect that. And they just couldn't live with carrying Benzema in the Champions League and lost that first leg 3-1 to Real Madrid. So Thomas Tuchel, the coach, looks as baffled as any of us, to be honest. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a head scratcher that that Champions League tie. Um, I was the, of the opinion that Real Madrid would not be winning the Champions League this this season, um, but that kind of match caused a bit of a rethink. But I'm not sure how much of that was down to Real Madrid and and how much of it was Chelsea just being poor and and Benzema just being clinical. Really, um, really impressed in the way in which they went about their business. It was a million miles away from the first leg we saw against PSG, but I think tactically Ancelotti got it spot on with the introduction of Valverde into more of a four four two of Vinicius and Benzema. Uh, but defensively, they looked strong and solid, energetic, well-drilled and confident. And you know, Chelsea were anything but, really. And I think desperately disappointing from a Chelsea perspective. Um, I thought the team selection was odd. Um, I thought the, the way in which they moved the ball around the pitch was a bit strange. You know, as Piliqueta playing left wing back, was never really going to work. Jorginho instead of Kovacic. Uh, Christensen had a really difficult evening. I thought Mount was largely anonymous. Um, normally, they need uh, a fit and firing Mount to be really sort of centre of attention to when they play well. He, he wasn't anything like that. And Pulisic as well doesn't seem to be putting together a consistent run of form. Um, I think there was just a, a real lack of ideas and a lack of invention um, in that midfield. Uh, they really struggled to break Real Madrid down and we didn't get to see Rhys James be anything like how influential he can be. Um, whether he was fully fit or not, I don't know really, but you know he was really nullified and then you got Lukaku who could effectively get himself back into the frame and missing a really presentable opportunity. But you know those opportunities were few and far between really and I think um, that's the, the big disappointment, really, from a Chelsea perspective. Defending poorly, giving away opportunities. Uh, you know, Architects of their own downfall, if you like, as well, with the third goal. But uh, more importantly, I think going forward, just a, a real impotence about their play, which was quite surprising, really. And I thought Madrid bossed it and deserved their position to go back to Spain now. And yeah, it's, it's, all, uh, it's difficult now for Chelsea to get back into that tie and you know, probably raise themselves for the weekend, too. Yeah, and Stinch, on that basis, Chelsea going to Southampton, and that could be a tricky game. Yeah, this is a little bit awkward because I texted you before the game last night that I wanted to back Chelsea at 1.87. So the fact that they, they were <laughs> they were two goals down within 25 minutes is potentially made made me look a bit stupid. But if actually if you look at the the way the price has moved since, it's only gone from 1.87 to 1.93. So maybe not as big a overreaction as you might have thought. And I think that kind of makes sense. You look at the the game from a sort of a numbers perspective. 
uh, obviously Benzema scored a hat trick, which is fantastic. Um, but if you look at his overall expected goals from those three chances, the total is just 0.2. So it just goes to show how good those three finishes were. Chelsea themselves had 20 shots. And in terms of big chances, Chelsea created two to Real Madrid's one. So on that particular basis, I'm not I'm not too concerned. Obviously, throwing in back-to-back defeat at, at Stamford Bridge is is obviously a little bit alarming. Um, but it's not something you can really quantify in my mind. So I'm happy to kind of take a risk, if you like, because because of the price, essentially, which is what I'm going to come on to now. So Chelsea were four to six at Crystal Palace, four to six at Brighton, eight to 11 at Villa, four to five at Wolves, four to five at West Ham, four to five at Leicester, four to six at Brentford and 10 to 11 at Arsenal this season. And yet we're saying that there it's a it's basically harder than all of those games to win this one away at Southampton, which can't really can't really agree with, to be honest. And I've kind of getting a little bit on the beach vibes from Southampton. 12 points clear of the drop, three defeats in four, including home losses to Watford and Newcastle. Feel like maybe they put so much into that FA Cup game at home to City. Feel like maybe that, that was it for their season now. Um, and in terms of the uh, Chelsea's price, you look at them previous visits to Southampton. Pre-pandemic, they were four to six under Lampard, Frank Lampard of Everton, um, the fantastic manager. Uh, and that was a team better than he... Victor Pereira, Frank Lampard, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. him, him. Um, <laughs> and that was with a team featuring Kepa, Zuma, and Willian, and they won four-one. Um, and that was against a, a Harsen who was Southampton as well. And then the year before, they won three 0 at four to seven. So that's why I'm kind of very interested in this 1.93 on Chelsea. Yes, you can say that, um, okay, after last night's defeat, everything's going to be focused on the return trip. But it's not as if their sort of second string team is is abysmal. Uh, None of Lukaku, Werner, Ziyech, Kovacic or Alonso started against Madrid. And actually, there is a little bit of slight concern regarding their position in the league because they're only five points clear of Spurs and Arsenal in fourth and fifth. And it would be obviously very bad if they didn't finish in, in that top top four so yeah I'm going to take a chance that Chelsea don't suffer another uh, humiliating defeat um, given the fact that I think 1.93 is, is juicy enough to get involved with Jake are you on the same page with that one uh, no I was actually going to go the other way uh, with Southampton plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap um, I know I understand everything Stinch has said there and I, I do think that there is maybe a question mark about Saints and their motivation levels but I think being back at home, um, which is, you know, they've got the home, home crowd. They've got a really, really strong XG process at home. And you mentioned the two defeats there to um, Watford and Lee. Uh, was, who's it? Sorry, they got beat by Newcastle. Um, they won the XG battle in both of those matches. Um, so they've created enough chances to, at the very least, deserve a point from those. And then maybe wouldn't have the same um, sort of stigma over those two games. And they've, in fact, they've won the XG battle in 10 of their 15 home matches at St Mary's this season. So um, they've been really, really strong when it comes to playing in front of their own fans. And I think this is the kind of game that Hassan Hootel does get his players up for. And by the same token, um, I, I, I said in the uh, on the Champions League podcast that I wondered if Chelsea's defeat to Brentford came through a little bit of complacency and the fact that they were sort of having one eye on the, the, the Champions League game against Real Madrid. And if that was the case, then this this time round is going to be even more so because they now got to go to Spain and win quite um, convincingly to, to progress. So I, would, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Chelsea just sort of maybe be a little bit lacklustre again. 
And there does seem to be something else going off. Um, I, I'm not, I can't put my finger on what it is, whether it's the off-field issues that are creeping on the field, maybe affecting things, but they haven't looked right ever since um, ever since this sort of off-field thing did take off because um, defensively they've looked really, really disappointing and really sort of all over the place. And Tuchel's been flirting with a back four and then a back three and then going back in and out. Um, we know he's got a massive squad of good players that can rotate, but he's not found a settled team Um for, in my opinion, since early February. And I wonder if that's just causing them a little bit, a, a few issues in terms of consistency. Well, certainly he seems baffled by their performances since the international break. Worth bearing in mind that our fantastic Akers and Bet Builders offer is running every day. Bet £10 on Akers or Bet Builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on Akers or Bet Builders. T's and C's apply. To Spain, Mark, you're keeping an eye on Villarreal, who are ever so impressive against Bayern Munich in midweek. Yep, um, very, very good. Uh, deserved win. Um, a massive match that was for Villarreal. Uh, I know they've been to the Champions League semis before, but uh, that was a long time ago in the Raquelme era. And um, yeah, a huge feat for them to beat Bayern Munich at home and set themselves up as a potential position to qualify next week in Munich. But um, I think there's a, a fair argument to suggest that their eyes are probably going to be on that second leg rather than the, the match against Athletic uh, on Saturday. And, you know, by Spanish standards, that's a, a quick turnaround for Villarreal. They're playing Wednesday night against Bayern uh, in a game which would have, you know, put plenty out of the tank and then playing again Saturday afternoon to then play on Tuesday against Bayern. So um, that's obviously an issue if you're trying to look to, to back Villarreal. Secondly, I think Athletic are probably the the one team or one of those few teams you just do not want to play if you are distracted by what's happening in Europe, if you are a little bit jaded. Or ever, Mark, to <laughs> yes, be honest. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But I think, you know, just just add in those extra, you know, weariness, even if Emery does rest and refresh his team, which he will. Um, you know, Athletic, it, it's very stereotypical, but they still are the same awkward team, physical team, just a team that aren't easy to to bully or swipe aside comfortably. And, you know, if this game was a standalone on a Saturday without European commitments, I would not be involved in this at all. But sometimes you have to try and find your edge in any way you possibly can. And, and my theory is Villarreal won't be 100%. Villarreal won't be taking this game completely seriously because they've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, I think physically or mentally, whichever way you want to look at it, they will be elsewhere. Uh, and we've talked about it previously. Emery has got a, a tendency to sort of refocus his squad uh, to a particular competition if he feels the rewards are there. And look, Villarreal are not going to finish in the top four in Spain. They're 12 points off it. Um, and actually, their performances against top half teams this season haven't been that great. They've only won three times against the top half. So, you know, recent performances suggest that they do tend to try and peak for these Champions League ties. Last weekend, they fielded a, a best 11 and were roundly beaten by Levante quite comfortably, really. Uh, I know they probably fielded a, a best 11 because it came off the international break. But even still, you know, it's an example of what... They can or chuck in when they've got eyes elsewhere. And as I mentioned on Athletic, uh, they've lost just five of 26 La Liga games. If you exclude Barcelona and Real Madrid, the top two, their away record doesn't look great on paper, but actually they've only lost four of 15. Two of those were at Barca and Real. Uh, and actually defensively, they've got the second best away defence. They've kept seven clean sheets and 15 away. And only two teams have managed to score multiple goals when playing at home to Athletic anyway. So uh, Marcelino is a fantastic coach, uh, likes to get his teams well organised and set up and I think they'll see this game as a real potential to to get something and I just think the prices at the moment are a bit too generous so Athletic plus half a goal on the Asian handicap on the exchange is 175 um, that market is moving in their favour because I think everyone realises Villarreal will not be putting everything into this match.
Yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. It's becoming traditional for Stinch to have a dip into the EFL. Yeah, I think we might be like six from six for our EFL bets over the last few weeks. So hoping I can continue down the same route this weekend. I'm looking into League One into Burton Albion at home to Plymouth. I'm happily going to... uh, well, I was kind of looking at opposing Burton and then the bonus is the fact that Plymouth are actually quite a good team. So uh, given the fact that Plymouth are only slight favourites of 13 to 10, it's got me very, very interested uh, given the prices. Um, originally, I would have said that Plymouth here are looking to kind of keep their, their playoff place, but now there's actually a chance they could catch the top two. They're seven points clear of Sunderland in seventh, but Sunderland have got a game in hand, so that's something to be wary of, although that is against Rotherham. Um, another team looking to to get out of this division. Um, but they're five points off second place MK Dons, but they have to play MK Dons last, at home last game of the season, so that could be absolutely massive. Um, and MK Dons have also got tough games coming up against Sheffield Wednesday and Oxford. So <clears throat> it's a real fascinating battle because everybody's playing everyone, and there's, and there's sort of three or four teams vying out for the top two, and then you've got sort of... Um, Four teams, I think, kind of trying to get the last two playoff places. So it's really, really exciting at the top of League One. Um, I said a few weeks ago, I thought there's a chance that this Burton side already on on the beach. And since then, they've lost three out of four and alarmingly conceded 11 goals and nearly three a game in that sample. Um, but you look further back and they failed to keep a clean sheet in the last 21 games, which is obviously really, really bad. And their record against the top 10 is quite ugly as well. They lost 12 of 16 against the top 10. Um, but it does need to kind of be mentioned that Plymouth are the biggest overachievers in, in this division based on expected points. And that's being driven by the fact that they're, big, they're the biggest overachievers defensively. However, they do possess one of the best goalkeepers in the division in Michael Cooper. He's got the fourth best save percentage at 75%. You look at Burton's keeper on the flip side, Ben Garrett, in comparison. He's got the f- fourth worst save percentage at 64%. And also, I don't really feel you can put a number on motivation. And I think that's something that is is massively driving this Plymouth side at the moment. They've won seven of the last eight. So they're really hitting form at the right moment. And as I say, Burton have lost six of the last eight. So again, I really feel as though motivation is everything here. And I'm... I'm quite surprised Plymouth aren't shorter. I understand the fact that they don't stack up well on the, as I say, the sort of expected goals and expected points. But I feel at this stage of the season, motivation kind of takes over from that. So I'm really surprised that Plymouth aren't shorter. I think if this was a Serie B game, you could see Plymouth like one to two or something really, really short. Um, And you look at sort of similar matchups this weekend. So you've got uh, Shrewsbury at home to Ipswich and Bolton at home to Wednesday. Ipswich are five to four at Shrewsbury, and I don't think you'd want to be getting involved there because recently Steve Cottrell's doing a fantastic job at, uh, job at Shrewsbury. Recently they went to Rotherham and won three 0 They've been really, really good at the bat this season, so I wouldn't want to think you'd be wanting back in them. And the same for uh, Sheffield Wednesday at Bolton. Sheffield Wednesday, albeit I know they're they're in the playoffs, but they don't. They don't. I think they struggle a little bit Wednesday, and they rely on the fact that they have got better than League One players to to get them out of. Diff- difficult situations the likes of Barry Bannon Lee Gregory scoring goals from outside the area is not something long term you can rely on and Bolton are another very good team so yeah you'd consider those and you think well I don't really want to be backing them at them prices and then you've got Plymouth at the same so 
given the fact that Plymouth just won defeat in 14 against the bottom eight, and yet they've won the third most games in the division this season, you can get Plymouth plus zero, so Plymouth draw no bet, around about 1.8 on the exchange. So it's money back if they don't win, and the only way the bet would win is if Burton win. So I just think it's a, it's a really good spot uh, at this stage of the season to get Plymouth onside. Yeah, Stinch is absolutely flying with those EFL bets right now. And what was quite good is the slight mention of Sheffield Wednesday there caused Jake to have an involuntary fist pump. So that's always good. Uh, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so famous that Apache Indians' Boom Shakalak was originally written as Boom Aka Ak, only for record bosses to persuade him that that didn't really make any sense. And that's not the way he should go. How this works is that each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and our delightful traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. We won in this feature last weekend. Jake, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to go with Tottenham to beat Aston Villa Saturday night. Okay, short and sweet. Mark O'Hare. I'll take both teams to score when Leicester play Crystal Palace on Sunday. Uh, Leicester... Obviously, we all know about their ability going forward. Uh, can score against most teams, but uh, they might be a little bit weary themselves after Europa Conference League action against PSV on Thursday. And as we've all seen recently, Palace are going great guns, so uh, I would expect them to get on the score sheet too. We'll talk about that game in a bit more detail in our Sunday show. We'll also have a full preview of Manchester City against Liverpool as the title race is shaped one way or another. Stinch. I was going to get involved in one of those two games, so I'm going to take one of Jake Betts from earlier and go Wolves double chance at Newcastle. Slightly wary of no Jimenez or Neves, but I feel as though Wolves shouldn't be as short as 13 to 10. He's reacted to that stitch up very well indeed. See, that's what you want, Jake. People take the bets, you know, in your last. Jake always tends to have this psychodrama where he plots his way through the weekend and tries <laughs> yeah. to work out if he has to panic about his selection. The issue you've got now is that Stinch has just taken one of my bets for the Acker on a Friday, ah. which could do the first, could go down on the first leg. So, so then it would still be my fault. Yeah. Two of the three treble bets are all on your shoulders. Lovely stuff. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Every Premier League game gets its own dedicated pre- Preview on betting.betfair.com. Loads of good racing content on there too. We've also got lots of other podcasts across the network like Racing Only Better. So from Jake, from Mark, from Stitch and from me, it's goodbye for now.